We're grateful. Our online presence has really uh, surprised me. It shocked me. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for uh, so many that have joined us, and we've had families now um, call this their church home, and they'd never been here. <laughs> so it's pretty sweet. If you will remind me at the end of that one announcement, because I'm going to forget, I can already feel it in my bones. We're, ta <laughs> We're talking about Moses, and uh, that's why I'm growing a beard. Uh, <laughs> I am Moses, the third week. Um, Moses is a significant man in the scripture, as you know, mentioned over 800 times, 780 times in the Old Testament. Uh, he is really the father of the Jewish religion. He in, is in many ways viewed as the, the father of, I, I know he's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but in terms of codifying the, the faith of uh, the Israeli people, uh, if you remember, until him, there was no Bible. There was oral tradition. Things just passed down, and that, that's all they had. And uh, Moses comes along, and the Bible says something very interesting about him. He had this encounter at the burning bush and at that particular place you know he he saw he was able to see God face to face and in his epitaph at the end of his life it is written that there was no one like Moses who talked to God face to face and so he's an amazing amazing person but he's normal he had questions he had doubts how many caught the answer to last week what is God's answer to every problem? I will be with you. He said, go. I don't want to go. I will be with you. But I need something. Look at your rod. I will be with you. I can't speak. I will be with you. It was very interesting. He had that encounter. And four times God's answer was always the same. I will be with you. And finally, when he offers to let Aaron go with him, that then a man meets the need that God had been offering to meet the entire time. And Aaron did not turn out to necessarily be a blessing all the time. He's the golden calf guy. He, <laughs> he's, he did a number of things that uh, made it very, very challenging for Moses in his service. But if we can just backtrack just briefly... If you're following along, we'll be in Exodus chapter 4, but just to recap from Exodus 3. Moses, remember his life was uh, three groups or three sections of 40 years. He had his first 40 years that he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He had the second where he was running from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and he's, he's hiding. In fact, we see in the scripture in Genesis or Exodus chapter 3 that he's on the far side He's on the far side of the desert. In other words, my enemy is over there, so where's the furthest place I can go to stay away from him? And we see there he has this encounter with the burning bush, and God calls him through that bush. Now, here's what's interesting. We look at that and say, isn't it neat that Moses had a call of God? Isn't it wonderful that he had this great thing. But to Moses, the call of God to return to Egypt is viewed as a death sentence. Because they were after him when he left. That's why he ran. 
But God's call wasn't a death sentence. It was a call for the liberation of an entire people. Now, I'm going to give you the end of the sermon right now. God calls all of us to things that we sometimes feel we can't do, that we're not capable or able to do. And we view them as a death sentence. Meanwhile, on the other side of the desert, a people is waiting for liberation because we haven't showed up. Can you imagine if Moses doesn't respond? What happens with Israel? The children of Israel had suffered under the cruelty of Pharaoh and the Egyptians while their deliverer was hiding on the backside of the desert. Now you say, why are Pharaoh and the Egyptians important? Well, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that these things, these examples, are written down as examples for us on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, they're types and shadows. Uh, the Old Testament uh, has things Infolded and the New Testament reveals what they mean. It's the same story. And the, the type of Pharaoh is an example of the oppression that Satan brings on people. And the Egyptians are, are an example of the oppression that the demonic brings on people. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, I don't believe in the demonic. Well, good for you. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. Now, it may not be like what you see in the movies, but it's real. And there are people that live under the oppression of the adversary. And we, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been called to be the Moses in their life, to see them brought out and to be delivered and freed from that oppression. Do you know it can even happen to believers? Now, don't want to get into, can a Christian have a demon? That's not for today. That's not what I'm talking about. But the fact is, is we can all be in bondage to things and not realize why we can't get free. It's because it's demonic. It's because it's satanic. But I have good news for you. By the end of the sermon, you'll realize that you have everything you need to walk in freedom and bring others into freedom as well. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 the Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, the children of Israel were suffering under the cruelty of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And where's their deliverer? He's hiding on the backside of the desert. So if you're following along, we're in Exodus chapter 4. I'm in the heading, what is in your hand? The Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake. Now, I'm glad to know Moses was normal because it says he ran from it. <laughs> means he wasn't from a church in Arkansas. That was funny right there. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that many, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you but take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. The question that God asked Moses is, what's in your hand? 
Do you think he didn't already know the answer? I don't know. What is it? It's, is it a stick? Is it a golf club? What is it? No, God never asks questions that he doesn't already know the answer. You remember back in Genesis 3, who told you you were naked? Why, why did God ask that? Be, because he didn't know who had spoken to Adam. He knew exactly who had spoken to Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve didn't know who had spoken to them. God never asks questions. He doesn't know the answer. What's in your hand now? Why is this significant? Well, here we go. To Moses, the staff represented, number one, his identity. His identity is who he was. It was his identity. You see, he was a shepherd. And so this would be something that he would use to direct and correct the sheep and also use it against the enemies, right? It also was his source of income. His source of income. You know what? He, he, where did he make his living? With livestock. And so with that staff in his hand, he was reminded, this is who I am. I'm a shepherd, and this is how I make my living. It also reminded him of his level of influence. How many people did he influence on the far side of the desert? Very few. Where was his influence? Sheep. It also reminded him of his responsibility. And his responsibility was twofold, to protect sheep and to strike the predators, and also to direct and correct sheep. So to protect and to direct, that's what he did. But this thing, when God said to him, what is in your hand, changes at this point in time. And here's how it changes. The staff is transformed from Moses' staff to the rod of God when he does one thing. He throws it down. That's a nice word for surrender. Surrender. When we surrender the things that are ours and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. Can you use it? Then it becomes something that he uses and empowers and it reminds us of his presence and his glory and his grace and gives us the ability to see people come into freedom and life of Jesus. You see, thrown to the ground, that dead staff now has life in it. The staff of Moses had become the rod of God. Now, I think I put this phrase in your notes. Every time you pick it up, it dies. When we give something to God and say, this is yours, he can use it, and he empowers it. But when we say, oh, you know what, I'm tired of surrendering that talent, that gift ability to you, it becomes dead. It has no value. But now the rod symbolizes two great things. Get these two words. The rod symbolizes power and authority. Power and authority. Prior to this time, it had symbolized his role as a shepherd. But now God says to Moses, I'm promising you power and authority to deliver the people from the oppression of Pharaoh. Do you realize that's nothing that we don't see in the New Testament because the scripture says in Revelation 19, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He leads the, 
He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What happens? Jesus rules with power and with authority. So this morning, I will ask you, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? What do you hold that represents your life? What do you hold that represents God's giftings that haven't been released to him? You see, God has given every person a special plan and mission. You say, well, I get that, Pastor. You have a mission. You get up here every week and you encourage us, inspire us, or we put up with you, whatever, whatever your stance is. It's all good. It's all good. But I don't have a mission. Well, yes, you do. God placed every one of us on this planet with a purpose. What's amazing about him is that that purpose can be different and yet just as valuable to his plan and to his kingdom. You know, we've talked about the fact that sometimes we have levels of influence. But where is the great life transformation? It's with the people that you're close to. You say, well, you know, tens of people don't watch me every week, Pastor, like they do you. That was funny. You're supposed to laugh right there. (laughs) Tens of people. You know? But God has a mission. God has a mission. We all have been called to serve, to minister. My wife has ministered in the state for most of her career. And God has used her ministry so that I could have a church ministry. But also has given her influence and favor and the ability to see lives transformed through the light of her life. What happens? You just say, yes, Lord, here it is. I throw it down. God has given every person a plan and a mission. And we are designed with a grand purpose. We're designed with a grand purpose in mind. God created us for a purpose in Jeremiah chapter 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. Set apart means consecrated. You're set apart for service. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. In other words, when Mark was born, it's like, oh, what are we going to do with that guy? I don't know what to do with this kid from Kansas City. You know, he's either going to eat ribs or preach. Let's see. I'll do both. What is in your hand? God created you. With a purpose. I want to share with you in the second point that God's purposes surpass your dreams and they surpass your imagination. They surpass what you think they could be. In Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody knows this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Do you know the context of that? As they were telling God, we're limited. We can only do this. We're under oppression. And, and basically, this verse is God saying, don't tell me what my plans are for you. Yeah. Amen. I'll tell you what my plans are for you. 
In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted or given or granted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Can you catch that? Jill and I met in church, Sonora Assembly of God, 416 North Washington Street. Her mama brought her there, brought her up to the front. It happened to be a weekend that the, past, the senior pastor was gone, so it was me. Every service, I was the singer, I was the dancer, I was the preacher. Who knew then what God was going to do when we met? God knew, but we didn't. All I knew is we were invited to a small group social afterwards, and we went and talked and talked and talked, and inside my heart was going bloom, and, and, and I could have stayed up all night and been fresh the next day at work. I cry to God most high, the psalmist said, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. Now, the next thing I want to tell you is this. Satan will oppose everything in fulfillment of that purpose. Satan will oppose everything. Here's why, number one, or letter A, he's a thief. He's a thief. The Bible says a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This version that I put in our notes today is the thief comes to take the sheep and to put them to death. He comes for their destruction. Why? Why does Satan want to destroy us? Because God created us with a purpose, a purpose to fulfill, a purpose to minister, a purpose to bring life to the world. That was the purpose. And why would the adversary want to destroy it? Because he doesn't want God's purpose fulfilled on the earth. Second, he's a destroyer. Revelation 9-11 talks about that. He is a destroyer. Letter C, he's devious and he's deceptive. He's devious and deceptive. I, you know, I'm thinking, if I'm in the garden in Genesis 3 and a snake starts talking to me, I'm going to be a little suspicious about that. But apparently animals must have talked. He's devious, he's deceptive. First Peter says it this way, be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. And last, he's an accuser. He's an accuser. Revelations 12 says, now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night. Right. I'm going to stop right there. I've given the adversary enough things that it would be easy for him to make accusations that are true about me before God. But I also hired an attorney. Amen. And I hired that attorney back in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
It was Wednesday night Bible study, first four square. My dad was the pastor. I snuck out. Who wanted to listen to him? I lived with him. I wanted to play baseball. Our church was an old brick church. And so the church was here. Our house was here. It was a big brick wall here. I'm an only child. Think about it. Baseball, mitt, brick wall. It throws it back. Well, how do you practice fly balls? You throw it to the second floor or to the third until you throw it through a window <laughs> during Bible study on Wednesday night. So what do you do? You put your glove away. You run into church, sneak up to the third level, get the ball, hide it. That's what you do. And you come downstairs as your dad says, I'd like to invite people to the front for prayer. I think I need to accept Jesus today. <laughs> because I may be meeting him within the hour. <laughs> and my mother testified till the day she died. Oh, Mark, for you, it was a real experience. I was there. God had touched your heart. I don't know if God did or the fear of my dad, but whatever. I hired an attorney. <laughs> So there's an accuser that's sitting there saying, Mark did, Mark did. And Jesus is sitting there on the right hand saying, um, I got him covered. That's been paid for. To which God says, I don't even know what you're talking about. God has given the authority and the power. God has given us the authority and the power we need to fulfill our purpose and our mission. Luke chapter 9. God, Jesus, called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Power and authority. I want you to catch this. There are two things that are discussed here, and I'm getting off script, so if I get way off, please, somebody dial me back in. Power is a gift. Authority comes from relationship. I'll share more about that. That's pretty much the whole teaching next week. We're in Yuba City. Somebody calls me up and says, Mark, you need to go over and take care of this. And if I go over there and walk in and say, I'm here to take care of this, and if I just show up with a gun, they'll say, well, who are you? By what authority do you carry the gun? That's the power side. If I go over and I show up and I've been deputized as a deputy sheriff of this county, and I show up just with the badge. The badge represents authority of my relationship. I need to show up with both. Amen. I need to have the badge, and I need to have the gun. That's power 
and authority. Authority is the right to control, to command, to determine something. The power to determine. God has given us authority to overcome forces of darkness. I call that kingdom authority. Luke 10, 19 says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You'll say, now, wait a minute. You've been talking about Satan and demons and now, but Jesus is clearly saying it's snakes and scorpions. Well, first of all, you need to look at the context of Luke chapter 10. The context of Luke 10 is all about forces in the heavenly realms. What is... When I say the serpent, who do you think of? You think of Lucifer. Scorpions are demons. It wasn't that Jesus suddenly was concerned about, you know what, in case you're walking over down to Jericho and you run into snakes or scorpions, you, you have power over them. And oh, 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 by the way, I'll throw in the next part, the power of the enemy. They're all the same. He's given us authority, the power of authority, influence, and the right of authority, which is privilege. And it says we can trample them. That's a violent action to crush underfoot. Does it sound like something that was promised in Genesis 3? That Jesus would crush the head of the serpent. God's kingdom is established in power. Power is the ability to do or act, the capability, a capacity of doing something, accomplish something. It can mean force. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In Mark chapter 9, some of you are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Why do we need power? Because in Ephesians 3.10, it says God's purpose in all this was to use the church, that's us, not a building, to display the wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me explain a couple of things. Man was put on the earth. And what were we told to do? Subdue it, have dominion. Dominion is an authority. We had it by right. It was granted to us by the creator. Does that make sense? But we gave the authority away. When man sinned, we gave the authority, the rulership over earth, over mankind, to Satan. You say, well, where did he get his power? It was a gift. Remember, he was, he was one of the angels, and God gifted him with power. And gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He had power, and he had authority. But God had a plan. I will send my son Jesus he will be the righteous offering that fulfills all righteousness. And he, by his life and by his sacrificial death, will wrestle back the authority over earth. And so for 4,000 years or more, from the Garden of Eden 
to Golgotha, Satan had power and he had authority. He had a badge and he had a gun. The Bible says that when Jesus died, that in the three days that happened, that he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And also he talks about the procession. He went around showing the adversary and all of his minions. This was yours, but I've taken back the keys. So when Jesus says to us, after he's risen from the dead, I will give you authority. He's saying, I got the keys back. They're yours again. They were designed for you. You're the rightful owner. You'll say, well, but Mark, how come Satan still works? Because he still has power, but he functions without authority. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have both. We have the power to set people free, and we have the right to do it because we function in authority. Can you catch that? If you're living in oppression, it's not because God doesn't want to free you. Sometimes you're in the mess you are because he said, I've done everything I can do for you. Will you act on what I've given you? Take authority. A number of years ago, I was preaching this. By the way, if we show up on any chat and it says Stone Creek, that's because I forget to switch back to Mark. That Stone Creek is me. It's us. We were teaching this, and one of our dear friends, they were uh, vacationing in Hawaii, and a wave hit our friend's wife, and he just, Steve looked around and said, where's Kelly? And she was floating in the water, and she was paralyzed. They got her out of the water, got her to the hospital. They thought they might be there for weeks or months. He called me up and said, Mark, what do I do? I said, you've been sitting in Bible study every week. Walk in that room and take authority. Tell Satan, take your hands off God's property. Take authority. You have the power. That's a gift of the Spirit. You receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. That's a promise. He's given you the power. And Jesus wrestled back the authority. It's yours. Walk in there and and pray over her and command that she get well. And she did. And they didn't have to delay their flight home. They came home on the flight that they were scheduled to come home on. And she came to Bible study the following week wearing the neck brace. And she said, I don't know why I'm doing this because I'm absolutely fine. And within a couple weeks, she had a clean bill of health. She went from paralyzed to walking to fine because a man realized he had authority in Jesus' name to see her restored. That Satan was the one stealing, and he wasn't going to let Satan steal from him anymore. You'll see next week, it's the little bottom of your notes. I'm not going to mess you up. Jesus ministered both in power... But authority and people recognize his words have power and authority. Let me minister this to you. And my wife prayed this morning in the car. I'm exhausted. Seriously, we moved three tons of material yesterday. I'm exhausted. 
she in the car said, I'm going to pray for you that Jesus shows up. And he has. Amen. Yes, he has. Let me minister this to you. The minute you accepted Christ as your Savior, you moved into his kingdom. Authority, and this is next week's, this is a tease for next week to get you to come back or get you to log on, is authority increases the closer you get to the source of authority. If I'm in the military and I'm a private, I got a little authority. It's the uniform and the gun while I'm standing at the gate. Right? But if I'm a general, then I'm close to the head of the army the closer I am to the one in charge, the greater authority. You want more authority in your life? Get close to Jesus. Because the closer you get to him, the greater authority you will have. But power is a gift. Power is a gift. The Holy Spirit's a gift. You don't earn him, you don't deserve him. He's a gift. Wouldn't it be wonderful as believers to function both in the gift of power and in the authority of relationship? I told you when I accepted Christ, it's when I broke the window. But I want you to know, friends, that for years and years, there were several issues in my life that I wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with and wondered, why can't I get free? Why can't I see this? And I, I apologize to God. Hello? That was funny. I apologize to God on a weekly basis. In those days, we used to have Sunday night service. The end of Sunday night service, come up to the altar. It was a kneeling bench. We didn't sacrifice animals there. And we'd come up there, and I'd say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I did it again. I promise I'll never do it again. And then Monday happened. Huh? Am I the only one like this? And I was pastoring a church one Sunday. I was teaching on this and the Lord spoke so clearly to me and said, I have set you free. Will you not get it? And I got spiritual goosebumps just like I got right now. See them? There they are. And it was like, wow. Wow. And when it came back, I'm sorry, you don't have authority here. You can't take that ground again. It's been liberated. That battle is over. God has set us free. God has empowered us. But sometimes we don't exercise the authority he has given us. If you're wrestling in an area in your life, I want to speak specifically to thought life. The Bible clearly teaches us that we're to take every thought captive. 
And the word there literally means to submit at spear point. Now think, what's the spear? It's the word of God. Here comes a thought. Does that pass the word of God? No, you're not allowed in. Some of us just allow it to, well, it's an idea. It must just flow through. No, you don't. You put the gate up. You say, stop. I'm not going to think that. But if you haven't put the gate up, the thought comes and you get depression and you get uh, despair and you get disillusionment and you get frustration and you get all of those things because you haven't stopped the thought. Stop the thought. It's in your authority to do so. Chronic sickness can be the same thing. You function in the power of the Spirit of God and by authority, because you're close to Jesus, you say, by his stripes I am healed. This isn't coming on me anymore. I encourage you, do that. Father, help us, help us, help us in Jesus' name. Help us in Jesus' name to recognize that you did some great things for us and you have given us keys of the kingdom. You have given us authority. Help us to understand it, to function in it, to draw closer to you so that we can walk in that relationship, recognizing when to use the power, recognizing that we have the authority, that you've given us both things. You've given us the badge and the gun. The last thing I'll say is this. Are you hiding on the backside of the desert while people that God has ordained to come into your life are waiting to be free? Will you trust him to use you? Will you throw it down and say, I surrender. God, show up. And he will. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask that we sing a short song, but when it's over, stick around because I forgot an announcement earlier that I need to do at the end. And for those of you online, thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a great, great week. And so, Lord, we ask that, that your blessing be upon this, your people. May your face shine upon them. Go with them, and they're going out, and they're coming in. Surround them with your presence in every circumstance. May they sense your presence and understand they function in your authority. And may you gift them with your power by the Spirit. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. All right. I don't remember what I'm supposed to say about it. <laughs> I'll let you say about it. How's that? Thank you. Well, I just want to let everybody know that we do are going to have a fireworks booth. It, it, it is set up at the same location in front of Harbor Freight on Calusa, so it should be a great location. Um, Darlene ha and Mark are going to be
coordinating everything. Darlene is working with the Yuba City Educational, well, I should have brought my paper to get it right, a mentorship group. And they are um, going to be basically manning the booth to the, um, for the most part to raise money for their group as well. So we are partnering with them. And there are opportunities if somebody wants to be part of the fireworks booth because you, okay, because it's a lot of fun. Um, Darlene, I'm not sure how you want people to get a hold of you, but she's here right now and, and okay. We've got, we've got information there too. Um, so check with Darlene if you want to participate in that and if you want to buy fireworks, you know where to buy them. Okay, anything else, Darlene? Okay, so all right, so let's see Darlene and we'll get the coupons. All right, thanks so much. Love you all. Um, be safe. We'll see you next week. <laughs>